Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, starting this recording on a Tuesday afternoon at 1.06 p.m. Caught a flight home from St. Louis yesterday morning, Monday morning at 5.55 a.m. Oh, those are delights. Yeah, anytime you're setting your alarm for 3.45 a.m., and I mean, you just got to ask yourself, what am I doing wrong in life? Nonetheless, I think I'm setting it for 4.30, 4.45 on Friday morning, flying to Portland, short flight, so that's not bad. And we get rolling with the good old penultimate round of the NTT IndyCar Series season. Also, some USF championships finales here. Going to have some champions to crown, so really excited, truly excited about that. Uh, great to see last weekend, young, young Mr. Giafone, the son of Felipe Giafone, former IndyCar race winner, longtime IndyCar driver, his son Nicholas, winning the USF Juniors title. So he is headed to USF 2000 next year, thanks to that big support package from Anderson Promotions, our great show partner, Cooper Tires, Discount Tire. All kinds of good things happening to send him upwards because that's what we do, the American Open Wheel Ladder. Uh, let's say a big thank you to our partners at Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers makers of automotive chemicals and lubricants that have been used by the Pruitt family since the 1970s. No joke to discount tire as well. Big new partner of the show and the USF championships here in 2023 and then our delightful friends north of the border in that land we call canadia the one that gave birth to uh, good old jimmy hinchcliffs uh that being torontomotorsports.com who have a bunch of amazing motor racing memorabilia stickers hats models books you name it uh pay a visit torontomotorsports.com uh hey we got plenty to talk through our guy jerry sudduth who is kind enough to put the questions together for us each week says we had about 50 questions and over 2,000 words worth of submissions this week. So I will mention one or two other quick things, and then we're going to get rolling. Uh, once we're done here recording, I need to call a driver who is extremely popular, who I thought was not going to have many great options in front of them next season and yeah, call came in last night that they might indeed have a big opportunity in front of them so once i'm done with the show here gonna chase that and if there's some if there's a there there i will write about it and file it right away mention this in my end of race video sunday at worldwide technology raceway but for those who might not have caught that it went up very late sunday night thanks to the 5 kbps upload speed no joke was sitting there for hours not only the last member of the media <laughs> in the gateway media center but truly the last person uh even the great john bishi who runs all of that said i'm out um sitting there waiting for videos to upload to youtube i mean yet again uh, if that's what your life has come down to, you need to ask yourself if you've chosen the correct path in life. But if you didn't catch that video, uh, mentioned a couple of little nuggets that emerged on Sunday. One being that 
It does indeed look like, not confirmed, but strong, strong possibility next year's WWTR race will be back in that beloved nighttime slot. Can't tell you if it'd be a Saturday or a Sunday, but looks like we might be headed back to where everyone wants it to be, and that is at night, not during the day. Also told we're at like 80-ish percent. We just need 20 more percent, but we're at about 80 percent of Milwaukee being back on the calendar and was also told that although we don't have the 2024 IndyCar schedule in our hands yet, I'm told there's a concerted effort to package Milwaukee and Gateway or Gateway and Milwaukee, however it would fall together as back-to-back events kind of towards the end of the season, last four or five races. So if all that comes to fruition, a pair of short oval IndyCar races as we get down to crowning next year's champion. That, to me, would be phenomenal. A couple other quick things. Our guy, friend of the show, Miles Rowe, he has, what is it, I think 54-point lead or something like that in the USF Pro 2000 Championship over Kiko Porto. Kiko, really happy to see him... I don't know if he's going to be able to overtake Miles in the championship, but we have the finale this weekend. Uh, I believe Miles needs to get to 66 points over Kiko after round one uh, in order to be crowned. But again, Miles has a pretty substantial lead. We, barring something crazy, we said this last year going into Portland where he was the guy in USF 2000. It all went sideways for him there. Uh, Michael Deerlando, an amazing effort to take the lead and win the championship. Still possible that Kiko could do that. Would hope that Miles has learned from last year's performances at Portland. And we'll see, hopefully, he does not take himself out of the championship, which is really what happened last year. So, nonetheless, could have someone crowned here. Simon Sykes still looking really good on the USF 2000 side. Uh, don't think we're going to have a champion crowned in Indian NXT. Christian Rasmussen, though, doing big things, really standing out as the driver uh, to claim control of the championship. Again, still got a little bit of work to do. Only two weeks left uh, for them, but really, truly can't wait to see how this settles. And then also we have on IndyCar, we have our guy Alex Pelot, who barring some sort of twist of fate where he crashes out early, gets taken out early, motor blows up, who knows? Barring unforeseen things, we will very likely be crowning the newest two-time IndyCar champion this weekend in Portland. So, yeah, uh, currently my flight returns Sunday night, but now as I talk through a little more with y'all, I think I might need to change that to Monday morning because I have a feeling like there's going to be a lot of videos to shoot and words to write and champions to celebrate. So that's all of that. Uh, Yes, indeed, there's more silly season stuff going on. Uh, I think we, before we get to Portland, we should have at least one IndyCar driver confirmation for next year. Um, Maybe two. I'm feeling confident about one, y'all. Two, I'm not totally sure, but uh, I've already started writing the one that I anticipate to come, uh, and we'll see again if uh, more than that arrive. But yeah, 
Uh, and I think we, I don't know if we're going to hear about it immediately, but I do think we might have another driver signed, sealed, and delivered. And I wish I could sing the uh, Stevie Wonder song uh, right there. I would, a little bit of signed, sealed, and delivered. But yeah, things are moving. We spent most of the year embroiled, entrenched, and entrusted to all kinds of silly season nonsense. Genuinely happy to say, whew, we're starting to... Uh, check some of those boxes of who's going where and hopefully more of this will become public and like i said once we're done here i'm going to dive off the phone and uh i might have a little something else to share so all right uh our guy jerry usually includes some sort of funny quote uh in the attachment with the questions and this week he says there's no pleasure in having nothing to do the fun is having lots to do and not doing it that is a quote from President Andrew Jackson, to which I say, Amen, Brother Jackson, and I look forward to having lots to do and doing none of it, but unfortunately, that time isn't right now. All right, here's a little music bed, and uh, I don't even have the voice yet to do my little pew, 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 pew properly, so we'll just go with a, a real music bed, and let's see, where should we open the show? I say we go with... I'm just waiting for the document to open. Uh, we're going to go with Gary Chin. This is MP. Have you ever recalled a strategy like Dixon at Worldwide Technology Raceway? It says three stops was incredible. You think next year teams will try that strategy out? Absolutely. Uh, think I mentioned this in that post-race video that went up super late that you probably didn't see, Gary, but a bit of a perfect storm here that made this three-stopper work. Awesome to hear Dixon explain as well in our uh, Victory Lap beer drinking video that this wasn't something they cottoned on to during the race. This was an actual pre-race strategy. His race engineer, Ross Bunnell, now a two-time IndyCar race winner in his first season with Dixie and just ever in his career as a race engineer. Uh, Dixie said that Ross was the one who brought it up and said, hey, no one's tried a three-stopper at this race for a while. What do you think? Here's the perfect guy. Greatest, I don't, I don't want to just say of his generation, maybe ever at saving fuel. Um, yes, perfect guy to make this happen. The limited number of cautions helped make this happen. Dixie being conservative on his pace to save fuel then had a great knock-on effect, Gary, of being able to conserve his tires, right? Those who are on a four-stop plan, who are trying to run harder, not always capable, but who are usually pushing more, were wearing their tires at a faster rate. Therefore, their pace dropped off sooner and to a greater degree than Dixon, who was able to maintain a higher average speed for much longer during his stint because he was not overtaxing those tires while saving fuel. All of these things work to perfection. Another item I mentioned in that video that to me was really the, the key transformative thing here among everything else I mentioned is even many of those who are on four-stop plans kind of fell in line behind Dixon. 
uh, as he was intentionally dropping his pace and dropping his pace all to save fuel and make this three-stopper work, I was expecting some of the faster, more competitive drivers on that four-stop plan gear to just light them up, right? Mash that throttle, go flying by, leave them in the dust, build a big lead and try and counteract the, the three-stop plan that he had. What was crazy was how many did not. And again, I don't know if they figured he was doing something that they should, or again, I don't know why, but there was way too many of those who could have won the race who kind of backed down. Passing was also much harder than expected. There was a second lane that could be used, but not crazily without risk. We saw young David Malukas use it to great effect and to also create some genuine beef with uh, Scott McLaughlin. Uh, I, there might be a question in here somewhere about that. Um, I don't know why, Gary. They didn't attack Dix in the moment he started throttling back. But that, to me, was the thing where you go, well, you just gave him the race. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> there were some mystified looks on some of Dixie's uh, crew members, especially on the timing stand after the race. I mean, they were pleased as could be. Uh, they felt like they snuck one up on everybody, but also couldn't believe some of them that I spoke with that folks kind of sort of fell for it. And, yeah, uh, acted not in their own best interest, but in Dixon's. So the guy lapped everybody but the podium. Come on. And even they were like 22 seconds back at the finish line, like just a couple seconds away from being lapped too. It makes me wish, no joke, the race was like five or 10 laps longer. He was, so we could say this guy legitimately lapped the entire field. Granted, I don't know if he had an extra 10 laps of fuel, but still. That's how insane this was, Gary. So, yeah, uh, I'm sure others will absolutely try to do the three-stopper next year. This, to close, is a lot like, what was it, seven, eight, ten, however many years ago when we had a late caution and Ryan Hunter Ray was one of very few drivers to dive in and get fresh Firestone rubber and came back and passed everybody and won the race. And it was crazy thrilling. And it also became something where, you're never going to be able to pull that surprise on people again because everybody's seen that play and they'll do it too. So is everybody going to be on a three-stopper next year? No, because not everybody can do what Dixon does. Also, Honda, to their credit, I think there might be a question in here as well. Yeah, there is from Eric. Honda, uh, they are known to be the kings of fuel economy. Uh, Ed Joris, you say... How big a role did the weather play in Dixon's fuel mileage and tire management run? Surely if the ambient temperature is 100 degrees, even the Iceman could not have hung on to those tires for those 60 or 70 lap stints, right? Yeah, very likely so. Again, this was the perfect proverbial storm coming off of some of the craziest storms I've seen at a racetrack ever, which happened on Saturday. But we also had a cooler Sunday than expected, Ed. It was supposed to be low 80s and... Again, I'd have to go back and look and see if that's where we actually got. But there was enough cloud cover for long enough to where it was warm, but it was really comfortable. So, yeah, uh, no doubt if it had been toastier, I don't think this plan works. Um, Brett Keys, see, this is silly since I know way more goes into it. But if Dixon starts mid-pack, do any strategists just tell their driver to 
do your best taking behind him and we're just going to mirror his strategy or is he just too good at doing it along with others um uh, who maybe could not follow that strategy yeah when you start hearing about hey there are some trying to do what he's doing but they bailed on that strategy it's because they've been got given a hyper aggressive fuel number to hit per lap and and might be over explaining things here but for those who aren't aware when you hear folks talking about a fuel number it's just a mile per gallon number um and yeah dixon said he was being asked to get basically one more mile per gallon than anybody else which is insane to think on a track that's 1.25 miles long so that's where maintaining a lot of rolling speed uh, you're having to lift off the throttle super early heading into the corners right the greatest amount of fuel is burned when you are maximum rpm maximum speed for the full duration of the straights and so not letting the engine rev that high or hard and lifting very early before everyone else coming into the corner is where you start to save a ton of that fuel where the real talent comes in though because anybody can do that right anybody can say okay i see dixon is lifting off the throttle completely at this exact point on the track going into turn one and i'm going to do the same thing anybody can do that where dixon has honed some rather amazing skills is being off throttle which doesn't necessarily allow the car to take a great set and really dig into the track and work to its best suspension and aerodynamic capabilities he has mastered the ability to carry whatever speed he has while off throttle while the car isn't in its happiest most stuck to the ground state and maintain tons of that momentum into the corner and throughout whatever portion of the corner before picking the throttle back up again it's where the car would often or will often dance and move around and slide a little bit and be really uncomfortable and his ability what he's learned his crazy car control skills allow him to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and it's in that phase where he makes exceptional speed when the car feels terrible and most too many drivers just want to pick up the throttle and make it dig in and bite that's where this extra speed he makes per lap is so hard for others to match that's the dixon secret and so again anybody can lift off the throttle early but if you aren't willing to maintain that speed and carry as much as you can off throttle into and through as much of the corner as possible your lap speeds just plummet and then yeah you're saving tons of fuel but you're getting lapped by everybody this guy is saving tons of fuel getting lapped by nobody and recording laps that on average are incredibly good this is the thing that's the dixon superpower and there are others who try brett some who might come close but really and truly in a head-to-head uh scott dixon and name someone else that we really respect as a driver maybe as a champion or whatever say we're both doing this three-stop strategy and we're gonna do the same exact thing any step dixon makes i'm gonna make 
there's still going to be some uh, coming up short here where Dixon comes out ahead. Uh, Eric Franklin. See, as soon as I saw the guys were going on fuel save with Dixon, I thought the race was over. Even my bride said, don't get in a land war in Asia and don't try to match fuel saving with Scott Dixon. That's a really interesting way to start the the quote there. Uh, The Honda mileage seems to be so much better. Is that more on the drivers or engines in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, having Scott Dixon there is certainly, that's just about the, the biggest weapon you can imagine in honda as well it's not as if chevy team chevy and ilmore aren't amazing with their fuel mileage as well right uh they did amazing things at indy 500 this year but here at least if we're talking just the balls out power versus crazy fuel economy capabilities we had chevy's pretty much dominating qualifying we had chevy's before this three-stop strategy really started to come into play, just blasting up front, going like mad. And then when the fuel economy questions started to be raised, we saw Scott Dixon in particular moving forward. So, yeah, um, there's something that a guy like Dixon can make use of as provided by Honda Performance Development that just takes this to another level. Our dear friend, Cassie Johnston, of the amazing Power Prude duo of Cassie and Craig, at mama underscore G-Force on Twitter. Please follow her. Your life will be better for it. She says, hello, MP. So those alternate tires were kind of a non-story during the race, eh? What was the consensus in the paddock about them? So I think we'll see them at more oval races in 2024. She's also kind enough to close, as many of you do, by saying all the best to you, your wife, Shabrell, and your cats. I've got Rocky staring at me intently, and I just mentioned his name, which is a bad thing, because now he's got the laser focus going. He wants to be fed. Um, it's a great question, Cass, uh, and I need to I'm making a note here as I open my Sharpie and grab my little uh notepad here uh ask indycar about alternate oval tires in the future um seemed like a non-story to me just like it seemed like a non-story to you and many in the race the alternates did as expected have a higher rate of degradation while offering a bit of extra pace but not enough to be a game changer so uh that's the question here we need answered for the future and i don't know if we would have it right now um but the whole idea here was to create more of a spectacle also having done 30 minutes of high line rubbering in session work on saturday uh I know the rain and other stuff, and I think there might have been rain overnight too, even if it wasn't that crazy, might have undone some of that. But what we'd hoped for was something that allowed risers and fallers based on their tire choice, and to your point, to what we all saw, didn't really play out. Could Firestone bring alternates to other ovals that really do have crazy peak performance in a related really fast drop off yeah um 
we're getting more and more complaints. Some of them justified, some of them a little over the top, in my opinion, uh, as I think, hashtag me personally, uh, about marbles and the racing's being ruined because there's just too many marbles cast off rubber bits and pieces offline, making too many races, one lane events. That's damaging passing. Did we get into that this year a little bit? Maybe. I know last year it seemed like we had a lot more excitement, maybe the year before and so on. But yeah, I thought it was a nothing burger, Cassie. And I'll be, <laughs> I'll be honest, I didn't even think about this until you mentioned it. And so although I was excited about it coming into the event to see what happened and what played out, I didn't even occur to me as something to follow up on afterwards because it felt like we more or less did the entire race on a single type of tire compound. So more to come on that. Uh, Ed Joris, you're back already. Yeah. We got two Ed questions in the first, like five or six. Look at that. Uh, is it time for Joseph Newgarden to consider cartoon anvil insurance? Say since 2019, he's finished second in the driver's championship three times. Looking like he will finish third this year. All this while winning four races in 2020, two in 2021, and five in 2022, and at least four in 2023. You say he could still win six in 2023. And you say that cartoon anvil has to be working against him, right? Yeah, I mean, cartoon anvil wasn't steering the car Sunday afternoon, right? Uh, I know, I think someone commented that he was trying to get by Devlin DeFrancesco and Devlin was in front of him, but they weren't close enough, at least as I saw it for Devlin to do anything to cause Joseph to understeer and smack the wall and bring an end to the super, super slim chances he had of winning the championship. Um, couple of thoughts here, Ed, to have won five races last year and not won the championship while his teammate Will Power won one race and took the title, I know was infuriating. We've seen angry Joseph last year and this year, maybe a little bit the year before, and obviously very pleased at the Indy 500, but there has been a tightening of things for him. Instead of, he's always been, Super aggressive, super hyper crazy focused. Like when it comes to racing, I mean, this guy is like a sniper, total assassin minded. That has never wavered, but there is just, I know we're talking things that are not real in terms of being tangible, but there's just been a darker harder edge to joseph for a while now you know how dixon can be on pole and finish fifth and be disappointed about it and maybe have some slightly critical comments but also not have that look necessarily he, he's not going to be the guy to storm away from a camera he's not going to be the guy to go off on his team and <clears throat> All those kinds of things where you're like, wow, outburst, venting, you name it, uh, in a really bad headspace. Like, I realize that Dixon's 10 years older than Joseph or whatever. Joseph's also in his, what, 
11th year of IndyCar, 12th, whatever the number is. He's been doing this for a long time, too. There's just been something, Ed, where the amount of frustration that is just pouring off of Joseph at the average race, the average race weekend, if he doesn't win, if he isn't on pole, the level of venom is really, really apparent. And I do wonder if he would benefit from whatever it would be, however it would happen, looking at how he might get back to driving with a little bit more joy. I know we see the bus bros stuff, which is a new thing for him, and we're seeing more of his personality come through, and or y'all are seeing more of it. You know, we, we've seen it all along, but I know that there's some fun, jokey, lighter side of Joseph stuff that gets presented however often they post their videos, but the guy at his day job working just a different guy not the same guy that i saw win that 2017 championship 2019 championship it's just a bit of a harder edge and i don't know if this is it but it does seem like the ability to win a bunch of races each year he's doing that without a doubt the bad days though seem to match the number of good days And we know that that's not how you win IndyCar championships. So my observation may be meaningless, Ed. But at least from what I've observed, the free, freer version of Joseph, instead of this tighter, highly strung version of him that seems to be on edge at all times. I wonder if there's something during the offseason a change in something, a trip that could be taken, a person to speak with, a book to read, I don't know. But something where he might rediscover that lighter, more joyful side of performing his job because it seems like when he's in that space, he's uncatchable. And we see him often uncatchable in specific scenarios. It's going back to when we would go to seemingly any track and the guy was uncatchable or on the podium or there or thereabouts. I mean, Scott Dixon just won his second race of the year. Joseph's won four and Scott is ahead of him in the championship. And we were wondering until the brickyard what round 14 13 races had gone by without a scott dixon win and we're wondering is it gonna happen is the the clock finally ticked over to when that's no longer a reasonable expectation for dixie he is in third place behind joseph going into the brickyard and i know joseph had a terrible brickyard not his fault uh, hit taken out bad finish there i get all that Uh, But Dixon, despite not winning a single race, entered round 14 of 17, holding third in the championship right behind Joseph with four wins, which included the Indy freaking 500. So it's the, yep, had a bad day, 
And guess what? I was P6, P4, P something. Joseph's had some really good finishes, also some really bad finishes. I'm just wondering if a more uplifting view and approach gets more from everyone and helps to change his fortunes on track as well. Next, we're going to our pal, Renee Davis. Renee says, Marshall, wondering if Marcus Erickson received a penalty after leaving his pit box with a tire not attached properly. I don't think he did. I was wondering why not. Also kind enough to say, love your podcast. Thanks, Renee. This is the super overstating the obvious comment, but legitimately, I'd make it and hope that you enjoy it. It's truly for you. Uh, I looked at the race report from IndyCar, and who do we have here for penalties? That would be the number 33 entry of Ed Carpenter. Voidable contact. Stop and hold for 30 seconds for hitting Benjamin Peterson. There was a second one for... Augustine Canapino for hitting personnel. Got to stop and go. There is no entry for Marcus Erickson. Uh, had I read this before I started recording, I would have reached out and asked, but I'm wondering if it's because maybe a little bit of the car, was it still left in their pit box? I'm not sure, but I don't know if there's a, a quote penalty for leaving without something. I know that there is a penalty for running over something. There's a penalty for hitting people. There's a bunch of penalties possible, but I know, I think, I think I know in NASCAR, there's a penalty for a wheel coming off, but I don't know if there is itself here. So I don't have the answer. I apologize. I hope it doesn't make you love the podcast any less, but yeah, um, I will try and find out when I see Kevin Blanche or uh, race director, good old Kyle, big old sexy tall drink of Kyle, um, here in a couple days in Portland. And if I remember, I will provide the answer on the next show. Uh, Dan Mayhew, coming back to something we touched on. Seems to me there's a lot of marble buildup this year, and it's affecting the racing lines. How do we improve this? Long conversation I'm going to make very short. One of the things I've been told by IndyCar drivers for a number of years now is whenever they complain about a tire not being good enough, uh, the solution is often with the next version of it to make it softer. And this has been told to me by many drivers. We're talking not just race winners, but champion level, right? When it comes to this stuff, those are really the only ones to listen to because they tend to have a lot of experience. They tend to be highly critical. They tend to be perfectionists. And so even though they have been required to sign NDAs or not, I shouldn't say NDAs, non-disparagement clauses about many of the vendors involved in IndyCar um, privately or as far as they're willing to go on the record without getting themselves in trouble, they'll tell you that softer is usually the approach to trying to make things better and while that's not always the approach taken by every manufacturer, um, softer you go, the more the easier it is for those tires to be grated, for the, the surface of those tires to be treated like cheese on a cheese grater at the track to create more of those little crumbles and marbles. So being able to create more grip 
without having to make extremely soft tires, which is the hardest part of making excellent longish lasting racing tires, that would be the direction to go. Uh, let's see at WUPS Sam H one, one three MP this year, we saw the introduction of new arrow pieces on the car for the Indy 500 with the intent of making it easier to follow pass and compete. After this weekend, is there potential for a new piece to improve the racing at Gateway or something error-related? Um, yeah, admittedly, dialing up the downforce, not to crazy levels, but dialing up a bit more downforce, as we saw at Texas earlier this year, really seemed to help. So I wonder if that might be something that gets called upon here, uh, because barring the changes I just mentioned in the response to Dan's question, uh, that might be the direction they have to go. Uh, Johnny Patrick, you say, Marshall, hope all is well. With Simon Pagano not finishing the last two races, is it possible that he may retire like Kurt Busch or Dale Earnhardt Jr. due to his concussion? And will Marshank Racing utilize him with the team like Chip Ganassi Racing uses Dario? Some great questions, Johnny. I've been wondering about for a really long period of time i realized simon hasn't been injured for all that long but this has been weighing on me for a while don't have answers for you um i hope he and i will be able to connect this week and maybe i'll be able to learn a little bit more don't know if that's going to be public i think it might just be a call among friends compared to a you know business on the record interview but this is a tough one. Spoken about this somewhat recently on the podcast, Johnny, so I don't want to dive back into all of that, but this is the worst case scenario for Simon. His skill that he sells to earn a living, support himself, family, is driving a motor racing vehicle. He does have immense skills that could be utilized in an off-track capacity, in that same way you mentioned, like Adario, Tony Kanaan, Rick Mears, and so on. This is where I would hope things would go for him if the act of driving motor racing vehicles in exchange for money is no longer in his best interest for the sake of health. Marshank Racing just announced a couple weeks ago that Simon's friend and longtime teammate Elio Castro Neves will be staying with the team as an ambassador, mentor, all kinds of things, and has an ownership stake in the team. Means that MSR already has its Dario. And so I don't know if MSR is the right spot for Simon. I hope he's not retiring. I hope his head injury isn't severe enough to wear a doctor says, or he chooses on his own to say, I'm done. If that were to happen, though, I do wonder if Penske might be a great fit for him. I already have Rick Mears, right? You're not going to find anybody better as a oval mentor, or mentor of so many things in racing than the Rocket, but... Rick doesn't travel to nearly as many races as he once did. If anything, he is an infrequent visitor at events these days. So 
knowing that Simon still lives <clears throat> right by Team Penske with his wife Haley and son Marley and dog Norman and whatnot. Um, I do believe he's still highly regarded there. Um, that's what comes to mind first. And if it's not there, I wonder if a Andretti Autosport, which obviously still has Michael Andretti, one of the greatest IndyCar drivers ever, Mario Andretti, the greatest of all time across all disciplines, but they have some great resources there. But someone with an insane technical mind, engineering mind like Simon, and is a professor of the, the art and technique of driving motor racing vehicles as well. Um, I think at Penske, he would be a great present and future addition. Again, knowing Rick is stepping back more and more as he gets older in life. I'm looking at Andretti Autosport, though, as the team that might benefit the most because there are few teams like Andretti who lack a dedicated mentor, coach, analyst, uh, driver whisperer to get more out of drivers and engineers and being a bridge between them than Andretti. And if we're being super honest, there are few leading teams in IndyCar who get less out of more than Andretti Autosport. So this is something where I think there's potential here for the future. I just hope that that time is not now. All righty, let's keep the party going here. Where are we going to go to next? David Coolish, you say, any landing spot for Connor Daly in IndyCar? Yeah, there's one that I know of, one that's told me they are interested. I think I put that in my latest silly season piece, David. Didn't mention the team, and I'll refrain from doing that right now as well. I, I'd love to tell you that they told me he's P1. He's on pole position. I don't think he is, but I know he is under decent consideration so i think it's going to be hard for connor to land a full-time seat for next year but hopefully folks are realizing this guy is really freaking good especially on the ovals and i just hope the door remains open for him uh let's see <laughs> ed joris i love you buddy uh um, let me get some of the other questions here before I get to your third. And if I don't get to it, I apologize here. Uh, Formula Nerds asks, uh, and I did just spend about an hour, uh, pause recording for about an hour and had long conversations with a couple of folks regarding a column I just wrote about. Formula Nerds asks, as a team who follows F1 and F2 closely as well as IndyCar, a question revolves around Yuri Vips. Is this a, quote, fresh start for him away from the controversy he left here? Or is the IndyCar audience aware? Well, uh, based on social media, I would say there's a decent amount of folks who are passionate IndyCar fans who are aware of his history. Obviously, this is his first racing intersection with IndyCar, that via Ray Holladum and Lanigan Racing. But I'm happy to say that unlike maybe however many years ago, an IndyCar fan isn't someone who's walled off to all their forms of racing. The same is true for many other fans of other forms of racing where there's more willingness to be curious and watch other things or track the news. And in the case of young Mr. Vips, uh, who thought it would be cool to say the N-word while gaming last year on Twitch and then got dropped by Red Bull and 
became known globally as the guy who said that word and had that happen to him. Um, say there's a little something here of his awareness in America among racing fans that supersedes racing, right? Like this is the thing that you might read or see on a TMZ or name whatever, you know, Hollywood drama-ish type thing. Wherever it might be, this is the kind of headline that would leap out of motor racing and hit national or international news outlets. So I think that's probably where a lot of the awareness comes from here. But yeah, um, wrote about this in depth. Would suggest reading it on Racer because it took me five to six hours to create and refine and i'd probably spend two or three more hours trying to perfect it but as is often the case i've got too many other things i need to do but rather than go super in depth here i just recommend visiting racer.com and there's a in-depth piece on this because it's there's a lot of stuff going on here and to your point um a european kid using a word that he doesn't own wasn't born in Europe, but is a very American word. I know that at least here, I think most people would agree there's no other word that is worse. Um, the fact that the kid's coming here to race with this baggage, this is the place that has the harshest, hardest history that created that word not a surprise that for folks here who would be as you suggest more likely to know the full depth and history and weight of the word that the kid coming here who said that word however it was said however it was meant not meant again doesn't matter it happened big repercussions came as a result and so he's on the the back end of this him coming to the place where this word is known the most as the worst i'd say it's only natural for folks here to maybe be more critical of him and of rll's decision to sign him so uh i try not to do this too much but yeah um read the piece it'll tell you way more than i could hear uh, on the podcast in a reasonable amount of time uh, charles napier you say any update on the phoenix uh, me, for one, love him in any car. You say, could Devlin and Romain team up at Dale Coin Racing? Say, the coin cars are fast, and Malukas and Romain have proved that. I know it's one of his options, Charles. Um, I am hoping that there are more options than fewer options for him in 2024. And I also know that I think there's maybe even some greater opportunities in 2025 little funny quick note here um <laughs> as someone who's little kind of sort of plugged in indycar um trying to tell you as much as i can about the silly season without causing damage even though that's it's never possible to be 100 percent perfect in that regard but the way you learn things is from talking to people <laughs> right duh but like i try to do most of this by phone but I also know that sometimes these things do or have to happen in person. And so happened to catch up with Roma in the paddock 
during the rain delay on Saturday and lots of people are outside or standing under the awnings, not getting rained on, but just catching up because it went on forever. And so a lot of us got bored at a couple drivers say, Hey, I'm bored. Stop by let's BS. And I did cause I'd done all the work I had to do and I was bored too. Uh, Romeo was one of them. So went over and caught up with him and just a little funny sidebar. Um, you sometimes have PR reps who are very worried about those dirty reporters and what they might try and do and trick the drivers into saying I'm exaggerating, but it feels like that sometimes. So you get folks who hover and, Oh, Oh, if a PR rep could be a drone, just hovering six inches above uh, your head the whole time. Oh, that's what we had. And I uh, was actually just catching up with Roman Dev and uh, we're talking, talking, talking. And uh, maybe it, I don't know what happened. Maybe the rain was going a little more in one direction. So we'd step a few feet in this direction. The PR rep, like always maintain the same exact distance. If we move three steps to the right, they move three steps to the right. If uh, we went over here, they went over there. Uh, it actually got to be really comical and there was a phone being used so i can only guess the oh my god it's how they're taught they're trying to talk what might they be saying and i'm like it was pretty innocuous stuff but regardless um we w walked over to the garage and i'm like hey could you show me something real quick because i had a question about uh steering wheel or something on the steering wheel so we did just that and he popped the steering wheel off the car showed the thing to me real quick it's all i needed and put it down and look to the right, and the PR rep is right there. And then it's like, hey, let's go over here. And went over there. PR rep, doo -doo -doo -doo. I mean, again, it's like it was a challenge to maintain the same roughly six-foot distance, but while kind of leaning in with one's ear and, again, kind of on the phone. And I don't know what's being communicated back to the mothership, but uh, Romad did say at one point, could you please give us like 15 minutes because it was just becoming pretty coming a little obnoxious and to the pr reps credit i know they heard it heard the request didn't phase them at all didn't move and i'm in my head i'm like good on you right if you're gonna be a, a a good soldier be a good soldier to the end uh and so then i think ramas said hey let's go over here and just kind of went at a bit of a hurried pace and i think broke free for a little bit but anyways it's just one of those things like if someone was watching this from overhead you'd see the two of us moving boop 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 and then we'd move again and boop 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 and it like probably spanned 100 to 150 feet worth of total movement from start to finish with this impeccable roughly six foot distance just with an earshot uh distance being maintained so again pr reps are awesome um We'll find out more here, Charles, I think pretty soon, like really soon. Uh, let's see, John Malenik. John, how are you? Marshall, I'm not sure if you had an opportunity to watch the Dutch Grand Prix. I did not. Um, yeah. Uh, but what caught my attention is the rather long bank turn leading you know, the long straightaway. You say if F1 cars are hustling around a significantly banked oval on intermediates on full wets, what is racing in the rain on ovals? Why has that been kicked around with Firestone? Well, true, but keep in mind that it's the going round and round and round and the big momentum, right? If they got to the end of that 
long front straight and had another super high speed bank turn to come around and fire them right back it's the we're constantly doing 200 plus miles an hour where you go okay um maintaining speed or gradual speed or or tepid speed i'm not saying they were going slow but um i mean i saw a couple clips but no i didn't watch the race but you know there's a different dynamic here Uh, i'll just say that and also that's some pretty steep banking so at an indy 500 and basically any place other than texas uh and i realize there's maybe some mildly steep banking at iowa but yeah at a number of the places we go there's not enough banking to really truly keep the car stuck to the track uh g-forces and rain would be sliding them right up the track into the barriers all right we're going to get to our last couple of questions here and then say farewell to the episode uh jordan darwin mp the indications are cgr's 2024 lineup is going to be linus dixie polo and armstrong i wonder where you got that jordan yes um any of the drivers bring a budget yes that would be marcus armstrong uh, you say Linus and Marcus would be in the paying cars, but I've not seen any indications that either are bringing a budget yet. Yeah, to my knowledge, uh, Linus, again, who's yet to be confirmed, Marcus, who's yet to be confirmed, so it's just me, air quote, speculating. Um, Marcus brings a budget. Doesn't mean he's bad guy or not worthy of being paid, but um, he brings a budget. I am unaware of Linus having anything to bring, so I, if he does or has found some money then good on him and i'm sure the team would be glad to take it as it makes covering off bigger budgets next year with the new hybrid engines uh capable of satisfying but i'm i'm not aware of linus actually being someone uh who's bringing a budget also would mention that that eight car and i don't know if that's a number they're going to hold on to but regardless the car driven by marcus erickson right now that is paid for by his sponsor is the one that linus is meant to step into this is the car that chip offered to pay marcus erickson to drive and marcus turned down so that's maybe the main takeaway here jordan um i would doubt the offer to erickson is the same of an offer made to lundqvist but I would have to imagine Linus is indeed being paid just at a lower prove-it type salary. Um, But yeah, Chip was prepared to run Marcus Erickson, paying him a salary and funding the car through sponsors uh, without him having to bring a budget. So that's what Linus would be stepping into. Uh, And you all say regarding money and CGR, Zanardi called him Cheap Ganassi. Is that a well-earned nickname? Um, I don't know. Uh... I've never heard Roger Penske trying to make people extraordinarily rich and not because he's air quote cheap, just he's a business person who isn't trying to spend any more than he has to, to achieve the results. So I'd say that's actually the case at most teams. So I'm not saying chip hasn't earned that reputation by some, but I wouldn't single him out because I know others fall into that same category. Uh, Mike Jablo, you say, what does the new Foyt-Penske Technical Alliance mean for the future of Michael Cannon with AJ Foyt Racing? I don't know. I know he's still there. I know he's the technical director, so I would think he would be a pretty important link between Foyt and Penske. So uh, from the outside, I would think Michael would be someone that uh, is really important for all of this. As for whether he will maintain 
maintain his role with the team after the season's over? Genuinely don't know. I know many of you know he and I are, he's one of my oldest and dearest friends, but truly it's not something we've discussed. Um, Ryan Caminiti. Who? Uh, Ryan Caminiti. Say, MP, how do you feel about the upcoming hybrid 2.6 liter V6 as we'll do in helping the quote show on the shorter ovals? I don't know if I have anything that comes to mind, Ryan, about specifically on the short ovals. There's, there are so many new wrinkles for what this hybrid combination does that I don't know if I've really been able to think through all the ways how it could change the racing. We will have the ability for drivers to harvest energy on ovals, right? The big question is, but wait, they don't tend to do a lot of braking there. Uh, I mean, there might be a little bit of braking here or there, but not enough to constantly charge this energy recovery system, right? True. So that's why they have a, a paddle on the back of the steering wheel specific for this. Some hybrid uh, cars do as well. Uh, I know one IndyCar race engineer has a hybrid road vehicle, and they tell me about doing this exact thing, using the regeneration paddle on the back of the steering wheel to try and charge or uh, harvest energy while on their commute to work every day. It's the same thing here. So you go, cool. So they might not be using their foot to brake, but can they use this to cause anywhere from mild to extreme uh, energy um, harvesting. So that's something they do on the ovals. But, you know, how do you deploy it? When do you deploy it? Uh, how quickly can you recharge, recover? When do you do this, right? Uh, do you try and harvest heavily when you're coming onto pit lane or leaving pit lane? Again, there's so many potential angles to this. Does this shot of electric horsepower is this something we're combined with a driver like scott dixon who we mentioned at the beginning is a master of saving fuel does a guy like dixon with the ability to not only save fuel better than everyone but also does he become better at harvesting energy without losing as much speed as the rest like there's all this kind of stuff road course street course big oval medium short oval ryan i think we're gonna see so many ways that this plays out that adds new complexities uh that yeah uh we got a lot to learn ahead and then here's the last thing they're gonna break because they're brand new and things that are brand new always break so we haven't had a lack of reliability in indycar for a long time i'm not saying it's going to be totally pervasive and the whole field's going to be sitting in a smoldering heap on the side of the road before the end of the race comes at round one but we're going to have motor generator unit failures. We're going to have super capacitor pack failures. We're going to have some wonky things happen where person who's leading the race, who we expect to always lead the race uh, without, again, all we expect is if it's not motor blown up, which is a rarity these days, or a crash or a wheel falling off or a strategy error, uh, those are kind of the known variables, but they happen very rarely for the top team's best drivers. This is something that won't care. It doesn't matter if you are leading the championship or last. The same possibility for 
failure to happen as the system becomes better and improved as more races are run and developments are made that's going to add a dynamic ryan that i think is going to be fascinating to watch where again someone where you're like that's my favorite driver and they're about to win or finish second and boom done side of the road and what and that might happen to them again at who knows the next race or their rival this crazy failure thing it's just not a thing much anymore how does this shape next year's championship and the one after uh that's what i'm looking for all right we're going to close here with lance snyder the minister of mirth uh touching on a topic i think we opened with a little bit you say with the beef between the bus bros and little dave malukas needing to be settled let's do it the american way a wrestling match come on man davies like 12 pounds uh, what driver would tag with Dave? And who would be the guest referee? How about a lumberjack match? Or maybe a tables, ladders, and chairs match? Who would Paul Hyman corner? Um, <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, uh, this is a real beef. Uh, I hope it gets settled, as I already mentioned. Davies, to my surprise, he's put on a little bit of mass, right? A little bit of muscle. Still got a long ways to go, but... <sighs> Like, really, the guy that he needs most as his tag team partner is McLaughlin. I realize that Graham Rahal might be a, is inch or two taller, maybe, but in terms of, like, size, and I know Joseph Newgarden's all Mr., you know, sweaty muscle and fitness, whatever, but just in terms of, like, Scotty's, like, thick. Like, that dude's got some weight to him and some, some size, and... I would not want to mess, well, actually, I wouldn't mind messing with him. That'd be fun. But if I was someone of Davey's size, there's no one else on the grid who you would want more as your tag team partner than McLaughlin. So the fact that the guy he has a direct beef with is the one who could wreck him the fastest and easiest, that's a problem. Um, God, who else? Let me just look through the list here because nobody's coming to mind, but that's okay. My mind rarely has stuff. Uh, not Pelot. That's cute. Um, not Dixon. Lover. Not a fighter. Not You know who he needs? And I realize this would be... Well, granted, he, didn't he call out McLaughlin for being an idiot spinning or whatever? He needs willpower. Like, Toowoomba's own street fighting champion, Will Power is who he needs. Um, that would be amazing uh i would love to see that you know who also strikes me as someone who could probably jack you up augustine canapino like i love that guy he's also not small by any means but he's just got the look like there have been some idiots who've been dropped in the past who said whatever uh who just yeah woke up with the stars and birds chirping around their heads saying what happened so yeah if he can't get power in there because, again, is there some sort of inter-Penske beef that Malukas could, you know, apply some leverage to? I mean, again, hey, if we're, we're going tables, ladders, and chairs or whatever, lumberjack, I mean, let's just go all in. So, I mean, if Davey can get power to, to tap in, uh, tag in, like, you know, he might be smaller than McLaughlin, but wild-eyed Will Power coming at you in the ring? For real, you dive over the top rope and just leave the arena. Uh, but again, Canapino, 
not kidding. That guy is, he's like so nice, but he, he has a look of someone you would not want to anger the rest. I mean, it'd be a pillow fight. Come on, man. Colton Herta, love him, but come on that you know, that kid ain't get anywhere near a fist fight or a wrestling match. Uh, Groshaw, come on. Rosenquist, I love him. He'd bite your kneecaps off. That's for Felix looks like he, he could throw down too, but that is definitely a lover right there. Uh, Graham, he's, you know, biggest driver in IndyCar, but you know, he's a Teddy B doesn't scare anybody. Love him, but you know, there, there's no fear there. Uh, I mean, you run down the list. I lot, come on now. That guy's, that guy's making the pillows being used in the pillow fight. So, uh, Marcus Armstrong, come on. He's just a cute little thing that was never meant for a fisticuffs pretender reel. So yeah, maybe Connor Daly. Like, yeah, Connor, Connor could, could break out the people's elbow or something like that. But anyways, uh, Lance, thanks for your question for ending uh, the show here on a high note, low note. I don't know. Um, look forward to uh, getting to Portland, having some more fun there. Um, yeah, like I said, we should have at least one IndyCar driver confirmed uh, in their home before we get there, and maybe even two, and I got more work to do. So thanks again to y'all, to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire. I'll speak to you very soon. <laughs>